This morning's sermon is the beginning of a sermon series that is entitled Growth on Purpose. Growth on Purpose. That idea coincides with Growth Track here at City. Growth Track is something that you're going to hear more and more about as we move towards the month of November. It's something that our prayer is, is that everyone that calls City their home, that within the next few months you would go through what we're calling Growth Track. But in line with that, this sermon is a sermon that I basically rewrote this morning. I had it in and ready, and I have a deal with God, more or less, that any time God wants to change something in a sermon, Sunday morning is free for him to do so. And so this morning when I got up, it wasn't that I rewrote the whole sermon, but the emphasis of it changed, because I felt so prompted and so convicted that what I'm going to preach on this morning is going to deeply touch some of your hearts and your lives. My prayer is, is that it would be an encouragement. If I had to have a subtitle for this morning's sermon, it would be this, taking faith personally. Taking faith personally. Here's what I have found. The only way to grow positively in life is when you do it intentionally. You can grow in ways that are incredibly unhealthy, if you just ignore tons of stuff. But if we're going to grow and we're going to have growth on purpose, it's something that we must take personally and give attention to. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at a parable that Jesus taught. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the parable verbally up front, and then we're going to read from Scripture the actual parable and how Jesus applies it to everyday life. This parable is known as the parable of the sower and the seed. If you were to read the parable, Jesus has got this vision or this thought of this farmer who's just casting seed and seed falls on four different types of soil. The first one, the seed falls on the path and the birds come and pick it up. The second one, the seed falls on rocky places. Because of the rock, the seed takes brief root, but as soon as the sun shows up, it's scorched and died. Other seed falls among the thorns. And as the good stuff grows, the bad stuff grows, and the good stuff gets choked out. It's alive, but it's unfruitful. And the last one is, the seed drops on good soil. And when it drops on good soil, there is a crop that is produced a hundred, sixty, or thirty-fold. And so what I want us to do now is I want us to read the idea of, on the big screen, what the actual application of that parable is. And so it's going to be on the large screen. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask that you would read it silently to yourself. Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. Here we go. It says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart. This is the seed sown on the path. 
The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. Now, when Jesus begins to give this parable, there are some things that we have to understand. First of all, God is presented in the Older Testament as a farmer. How many of you here ever grew up on a farm or worked on a farm? Raise your hand. Real high. Look around you. Look how many of us either grew up on a farm or worked on a farm. I'm going to get back to that in just a few moments. But what's amazing is, is in the Older Testament, God is often referred as a farmer. Read with me if you would in the following text on the large screen. It's found in Psalm 65, verses 9 through 13. Here's what the psalmist writes about God. God, you care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For you, or for so you have ordained it, you drench its furrows with level and you level its ridges. You soften it up with showers and you bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness and the meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. You see, in the Older Testament, God is presented as a farmer. And if you were to look back in the Older Testament, you would even discover that in the first three days of creation, if you read it properly, what you'll discover is, is that God, in the first three days, is simply setting things up so that crops can grow. As a matter of fact, at the end of the third day of creation, here's what God says. The Bible tells us that the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and that was evening, and then there was morning the third day. So the creation story tells us that God provides a world in which seed can grow. Now, when we look at Jesus in this parable, what we need to know is, is that parables have a way of drawing us in. If I got up and just simply said the things that need to be said, you'd kind of go, uh. But there's something about a parable, something about the story where Jesus pictures this man or this woman and they're throwing seed and as they cast the seed, it falls on four different types of soil. Fascinating. 
But Jesus, not only in Christianity, but in Judaism and even in other religions, is incredibly admired for his parables. They're profound. They make you think. And they call you to stand in the midst of them. What I would like to do now is talk about this parable. I want to talk about it in a way to where each one of us can look at our own lives and say, which one applies to me? Now, here's how I picture Jesus. If you saw the setting from which Jesus taught this parable, you would know that Jesus was in a boat. There were so many people that were coming now to hear him teach that he got in a boat, pushed back from shore, and the water works literally as sort of a broadcast system for his voice. So Jesus pulls back from shore, and he tells the parable that we, I mentioned earlier. Now, in my mind's eye, all of these people are sitting on this vast hillside, and Jesus looks above them, and he sees a farmer casting seed. And the idea hits him. Because you see, everyone sitting there would know about farming. Even if they were a fisherman, they would know about farming. Because farming is what drove everything in Jewish economy. So Jesus tells that parable of the four different types of soil that the seed falls on. The first one is when seed falls on the path. In other words, the gospel is cast out. The news of the kingdom is cast out. Who Jesus is is sent out. And what ends up happening is people know his name, but they don't know anything about him. How often it is where someone maybe has been led in what we would call a sinner's prayer, but there was no depth to it. No one explained at all anything about Jesus. Now, when I share faith with different people, oftentimes I will ask them, what do you already know about Jesus? Hand to God, one person told me that they felt like Jesus was a Martian who had landed in this world and they were absolutely serious. And I said, where did you get that from? And they said, someone had told them that. So there are two people that believed that Jesus was a Martian. And I remember explaining who Christ is to them. And they said, I struggle to believe that. <laughs> and I thought, you just told me that Jesus is a Martian. And I'm telling you what the Bible says. And billions of people have believed. Not all people have accepted, but they believed it. Some reject it. Oh, no. I want to stick with the Martian theory. Can't help you. But you see, the idea is, Jesus in the gospel is the seed. Jesus is the seed of the kingdom of God. And these people know nothing of him. Next, the seed that falls on the rocky soil, it, the Bible tells us that when that gospel hits that type of soil, the Bible says, the person accepts it with joy. In other words, there's an emotional burst. They receive it quickly. 
The Bible says that their faith has no root. The seed has a thin layer of soil, and there's a rock underneath, and so that the root never happens. But what they have is at the beginning is what I call a feelings-oriented faith. Where the gospel sounds great, there's even an emotional rush when they first hear about Jesus. But there's no root. And the faith of this individual is all about emotion. It's about feelings. Let me be blunt right here and now. If your walk with Jesus is governed by how you feel, God help you. Because I can tell you there have been seasons of my faith journey where feeling-wise I struggled big time. But it didn't make Jesus any more less or more real. Do you understand that? If we have a feeling-oriented faith, watch out. But these people begin with a burst of joy. And the issue is, the Bible says, as soon as trouble shows up because of the word or persecution, that the people fall away. No root. As soon as trouble shows up, the seed has no root. And what comes with trouble what comes with trouble is difficult emotion. Now, the Bible teaches us that this is rocky soil. There's stuff underneath that's keeping the gospel from anchoring and able to actually grow in our lives. So, I want to give us an illustration. This is a pickaxe. This pickaxe, believe it or not, is the exact one that I used on the farm when I was a young boy. Because here's why. Every spring, we had to go into the fields, me and my two older brothers, and we had to prepare the soil. Now, we had a lot of land, like acres and acres. And we weren't out there digging to plant seed. We were digging up rocks. My dad would say, guess what? The fields have thought again. Go hook up the wagon. Go hook up the tractor. Get out there and dig up all the rocks you can find. It was one of the most dreaded chores we ever had. Because you know why? We had done it the year before. But you see, in Wisconsin, the permafrost goes so low and gets down under the rocks that the rocks literally wiggle up with the thaw every single spring. And if you're ever around areas with rocky soil, you'll see the rock or the stone walls all around the fields, and you think, isn't that sweet? <laughs> it's not sweet. It's because someone dug up every one of those rocks and then lined them on the edge. Now, I can remember being a kid, you'd go out there, and it was muddy and soupy, and you could see just little tops of rocks, and you'd stick the pickaxe down under it, and you'd leverage it, and it wouldn't budge. And there were times where some of those rocks that had come to the surface were 100 pounds. And it took all three of us with our pickaxes and crowbars to dig up the rocks. And I can remember being an eight or a nine-year-old boy sitting out there thinking to myself, what have these rocks been doing all winter? Breeding underground? 
I mean, literally, they've been breeding all winter long, and now these are all the little cubs that are coming up and all the little kittens that are coming up. But the truth of it is, if you don't do that, and you don't dig up the rocks, and you don't deal with maybe what's right under the surface, you have a feelings-oriented faith. Next. The next type of soil is a soil that creates what we will call the fruitless Christian life. It's the Christian life that there's life, but there's no fruit. In other words, this person has heard of Jesus. The roots have gone down, but the Bible tells us that this type of a person is this way because of two things. And I want you to catch this. Jesus said the person is a follower of Jesus, the gospel's real, they're part of the kingdom, but these two things are what choke out the good stuff so that there's no fruit. Number one, the worries of life. The Bible talks extensively about how you and I handle worry. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago, Jesus looks at our faith journey and he says, you know what? If you don't deal with this spiritually and biblically, it's going to choke out the fruit of your life. Think about that. If you're the type of person that's given to worry, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said to you that your soil, your soil is full of weeds and it's going to choke out the fruit of God. Let me put it another way. Is, does how you handle worry look like or look differently than those people who don't know Jesus? Or are you as stressed out, as, are you as sleepless as you are all of those things just like people who don't know Jesus? I want to beg you. I want to encourage you. When you go home today, Google worry in the Bible. You will get a list of verses 50 to 100 long. Take one of those verses and memorize it. Write it on your forehead. Write it somewhere. Put it in your pocket. And the next time you're getting ready to worry, I want you to think about two things. Number one, has anything that you've worried about in the last six months actually happened? I want you to think about that. And number two, remember this saying. When I was first called into ministry, a pastor, his name was Pearly Hersey. You imagine having that name, Pearly Hersey. He put his arm around me, and here's what he said. Pete, worry is like a rocking chair. It will use up all your energy, and you get nowhere. That was pretty good. And then here's what he told me next. He said, my Bible tells me God never sleeps and never slumbers. So he said, what I do is, if I'm worrying about the church or I'm carrying a burden and I recognize that, he said, I lay my head down and I go, God, your word tells me you never sleep and you never slumber, but I need to. So you stay up, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> never forgot that. Next, the deceitfulness of wealth. These are two things that choke out the fruit of God in our lives. Two things. Deceitfulness of wealth. So I thought about how am I going to explain this. I want to explain it the following way. 
when you think money can give you what only God can give you. When you think money can satisfy you or what money can purchase will satisfy your soul and yet that satisfaction can only come from God. If you are trapped in that, you are trapped in the deceitfulness of wealth. It's got its hold on you. I was thinking about this and what struck me was within the past calendar year, two very famous celebrities took their own lives. Now, what I really appreciated and I loved was that the news media, as they reported her death and his death, she was in the fashion world, he was in the culinary world, and when they took their lives very close to each other, what I loved was the conversation about mental illness and how that can cause people to do things that they never, ever would do. But I also noticed something in the vocabulary of almost everyone who was announcing this on the mass news media. The vocabulary they choose and the kind of the intonation of their voice and the look on their face was this. How in the world could two people who are so rich and so famous ever do what they did? Listen to me. That is the deceitfulness of wealth because they believe that if they had all the money that those people have, they would never dream of doing what those people did. Hear me. That is the deceitfulness of wealth. It's the belief that if I have enough money and there's enough zeros in my bank account, then my soul would be filled and my soul would be satisfied. But remember... The deceitfulness of wealth is when I think money will be able to satisfy my soul in a way that only God through Christ can. Deceitfulness of wealth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said the seed will fall on soil. It's, it's got stuff going on, and what's going on is the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, and those are the two weeds that come in and choke out the fruitfulness of our lives. Now, here's what Jesus then says. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. I believe what we need to understand very quickly is this, is that the seed on what kind of soil? Good soil. So you know what matters? Soil prep. Remember what I talked about earlier? Preparing the soil. You see, the problem is never the seed. It's soil prep. I remember as a kid going out again into the fields and digging up these rocks. Again, I was convinced they were breeding underground during the winter and they were coming up out of hibernation. Believed it. But here's what else we did. Gets even smellier. We had spent all winter piling up the cow manure from our cow barns. We would put that in wagons, and it was called a manure spreader. You always wanted to do it on the day when the wind was blowing west, <laughs> not east. And then you would plow that in, and then determine by which crops we were going to plant 
Then we would add fertilizer. And we did all of that before we ever planted seed. Do you want to know why? Soil prep is the issue. It's not the seed. The seed of the gospel is as potent in every single person. The gospel is no different for me than it is for you. The gospel has the availability and the ability to do everything the Newer Testament says. You know what the difference is? Soil prep. It's is the soil prepped properly. Well, I want us to end as we move towards one episode from the life of Jesus where he, I believe, models for us what's important for soil prep. And it's this. You cannot separate the teachings of Jesus from who he was and how he lived. In other words, when you read something that Jesus said, always keep it connected to him. With Plato and Socrates, I can read what they've written, and I don't need to know anything about them. But when it comes to Jesus, you simply can never separate what he taught from who he is. So what did Jesus do? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. And the card that you were handed when you came through the door has a whole list of verses that convince you that Jesus did this often. Here's what the Bible says. Luke 5.16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. He did this often. In order for Jesus to make it through the toughest of times, in order for Jesus to position himself so that the soil was being worked on, that the soil was being kept where it needed to be so that the kingdom of God would be fruitful in his life, the Bible says that Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to pray. Now listen, we provide a lot of things that are purposely and intentionally going to help you to grow spiritually. We have Sunday morning worship. We have what we call life groups. If you're not in a life group, I pray that you'll commit to be part of one. We've got growth track. You're going to be hearing more and more about that. We have serving opportunities. We have all of these things that strategically help you to grow on purpose. They're there for a reason. But here's what I want to say very carefully. It's this. It's that all of this is done with other people. It's mission critical. You have to have this in order to really mature as a believer or some semblance of this. But here's the episode I want to talk about. Jesus has been journeying with a life group for three and a half years. He's got these 12 men. They're close to him. He is close to them. They've been on this spiritual journey together, and again, it's mission critical to have that. And Jesus is now moving towards one of the lonely places. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. Wasn't the first time he had prayed there. He had been there many times before. We know this because Judas Iscariot knew exactly where to send the guards to find him. Jesus was in a solitary place. He was in an environment that he went to that allowed his soul to be prepared for the fruitfulness of the gospel. And the Bible says Jesus took Peter 
and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus takes these three people, they're the inner circle of his faith journey, and he takes them with him, and they move into the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does the Bible said? He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Remember, if your faith is based upon how you feel, you're in big trouble. Our faith is based upon the promises of God. Our faith is upon what the Scriptures say is true about Jesus Christ. Jesus moves into the garden. He's sorrowful and he's troubled and he takes Peter and the two brothers with him. And then the scripture goes on to tell us that Jesus goes a little bit farther. In other words, he leaves them. And the Bible says that Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. I don't know where you're at in life, but I want to encourage you that if you have not done this and you're in the middle of troubled times, please do. Cry out to God. I think too many of us in Charlottesville, we rely on our wits, our academics, our smarts, whatever it is. We rely on so many things. But look what Jesus did. Jesus leaves those three and he goes just a little bit farther and then he falls on his face and he prays. And then scripture tells us this. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and he found them, what? Sleeping. Thanks a lot, guys. He was sorrowful and troubled when he left them. They knew he was burdened. And yet when he goes just a short distance away, they fall asleep. And here's what Jesus says. You couldn't keep watch with me for one hour. And who does he say it to? Peter. Come on, Peter. I'm your namesake, buddy. You should have done better. Peter falls asleep too. He's the one that told Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm with you. I'm your boy. Now, here's what I want us to think about, and I want your soul to be captured by this. It's important. You have friends that you are journeying with in the faith, and if you don't have them, please get them. But please know... There will be times where God will want you to go just a little bit farther than what they can go with you. A little bit further. They're there. They know what's going on in your life. But you're going to go just a little bit farther than they do because you need to be purposeful about your growth in Christ. They can't do it for you. They can get you 90% there, but that last 10% is between you and God alone. And here's the other thing I want to challenge you with. When you come back to them and they're asleep, when you come back to them and they didn't really get the depths of the burden of your soul and what it was you were going through, please don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. Because I think that this last episode of Jesus about us taking care of the soil of our soul, please don't get bitter when the people around you can't fully engage with what you're going through. Here's why. That's just between you and God. Now, even your best faith friends can't go all the way with you. 
want to encourage you. Have you been at a place like this recently where you've gone to an environment? The Bible says Jesus went there often alone to pray. We want to encourage you to develop faithful environments. Places where you can go when you know that your soul needs to be connecting with God. I have mine. I'm blessed. There's a family at City that anytime I want to go to their farm, I can. I was there yesterday. Spent just a few moments there in prayer. That environment does something for me. What's yours? But the environment always has that sense of biblical reality. Worship to God. All of those things that make us connect to God with who he is. And so there's a couple of things that we have put together for you for this morning. Can you take out this card? As you take out this card, it says growth on purpose. I am challenging you and encouraging you to be the type of person that gets alone with God. That you do like Jesus did. There's an environment that you go to and it's there where you wrestle with and you deal with the deep things of life and your best Christian friends can't get there with you. It's between you and God. Again, on the back are the verses that will convince you that Jesus did this often. On this side, there are two things I want you to take notice of. The the first is first15.org. First15.org is a website that you can click on and you will get a daily email. I get them every single morning. And you click on that and there's a biblical thought, there's a devotional thought, but there's also a worship video that's embedded in that email that as you read the scripture and you read the devotional thought that on first15.org there's a worship song, a worship video that will allow you to move towards God in worship in that environment that you're part of. The other one is, is the Echo Prayer app. I want to encourage you to get this as well. The Echo Prayer app is a way of promoting prayer in your own life. There's reminders there that actually can remind you to pray for certain things. And I think you can sense that I'm passionate about this, but I know that when I got up this morning, I felt deeply burdened because there's a lot of us that are faithful on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of us, you're faithful to your group on ground, whatever campus ministry you're a part of, and you're even faithful to your life group or to your core group on grounds. But the thing that's missing is the thing that Jesus did at the most important times of his life. It's when he went by himself, and it was a place that his closest friends in his faith journey could not get there with him. They were close. They weren't that far away, but this was between him and God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. As we conclude our time, I'm going to ask that you would please close your eyes. How is the soil of your soul?
My big concern is that for a lot of us, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, we're a follower of Jesus, but we've lost that sense of the connection that God calls us into. We've lost that part of our faith that actually bears fruit in our lives. And you know, you can feel it this morning that in the depths of your soul that the fruit of God is not really part of your life. You're a follower of Jesus. He's in you. You're with him. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth have choked out the fruitfulness of God. And for a lot of us, the reason why we still follow Jesus is because we know that in him are the words of eternal life. And you don't want to leave him because you know that he's got those. But the abundant life, the daily life of the fullness of being a Jesus follower is not part of your life. I want to pray a prayer over all of us. I want to pray a prayer about the soil and the soil prep of our soul. As I lead you in prayer, as I lead myself in prayer, let's allow the Holy Spirit to show us where in that parable we are. Is it this morning that I need to accept Jesus and really allow the seed to take root? Is it time for me to actually begin to discover biblically who Jesus is? So, what about those of us that our Christian faith is more about feeling? And when trouble comes, we completely collapse. I want to encourage you that a daily time alone with Jesus is what strengthens us and builds us and moves us past that. And then for those of us that the soil is good, God bless you. God bless you. Let the fruit multiply. Let the seed multiply in your life. Cast out the gospel. Cast it to others. Let's pray. Jesus, we stand before your parable as billions of people have done for thousands of years. Jesus, we stand before it. What soil am I? Lord, is my soil full of rocks? stuff that you want to dig out of me so that the soil would be good soil. Lord, is my soil full of the weeds of the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth? Lord, I confess that to you. I confess worry. I confess trusting in money to buy me and supply for me what only you can give me. Jesus, help us all. Lord, take out the pickaxe of your spirit and prep our soil so that the gospel's roots would grow deep in us, bearing a hundredfold the seed that's been planted. The worship team is going to lead us in a worship song. And as they do, I want to encourage you to worship in the privacy of your own space. 
just you and Jesus. No one else. Just you and Jesus. Let's worship him alone. Be thou my thank you for who you are thank you for your parables thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit thank you for the powerful example that you set for us that you frequently went to a lonely place to pray 
God, I pray over the soil of all of our hearts that you would do a work in them and you would free us up from the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and you would make us be a people whose lives to the gospel are bearing much fruit that the fruit of the gospel would touch our hearts and touch our souls we would find freedom in Christ and fullness in Him. I'm now going to bring the pastoral blessing. If you would like to remain in worship, you can. And if not, you can slip out quietly. The flex again will be in the foyer if you would like to connect with them. But now may the Lord bless us. May the Lord keep us. May he cause his face to turn and shine towards us. And we may we find him in that solitary place, alone with him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, if you would like to remain in worship, you can. God bless.